Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. I love this week. You know, it's called like Resurrection Week, Easter Week. There's a lot of names for it. Um, when I grew up, it was called Confusing Week. Um, if you didn't, if you're not familiar with my past, I grew up Catholic and Jewish. And, uh, and so growing up, my, my parents thought, hey, I think it's gonna be a good idea. Let's just get them the best of both worlds. Let's let them try it all. Like Baskin Robbins, you know, just you pick your flavor, soda, you know, Coca-Cola Sprite, root beer, try it all, you know, and except not really. It was just very confusing growing up. So this week was always interesting because, um, you know, I hear, I hear different stories from different places. You know, I go uh, midweek, I, I would go to like a Shabbat service and we do like a Seder and, and we hear about Passover, right? We hear about Passover, it's Passover service. Um, and so it was how, you know, we just sang about, you know, the Jews fleeing Egypt and, and, and it was basically that, but like in a three hour dinner where you eat uh, like an egg and you eat some bitters, um, bitter herbs and then, you know, it's like a lamb shank. It's, it's a whole thing. And then we tell stories and we read out of a book about what happened just so that we remember, which is a good thing. It's good to remember. So then that was cool. But then the problem was then I would go to like a Good Friday service that same week. So like maybe, maybe a couple days later. And then I would show up a Good Friday and then I would hear, you know, midnight mass, you know, usually. And so we'd show up and then I'd hear about Jesus and I'd fall asleep, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes in. So I didn't get the full story, but... It was different. I, I knew it was different. It was, they were not talking about the same thing, at least that I thought. And then I, you know, go Sunday, and then it was kind of the same thing. It was like I would do Easter egg hunts at one point, and then another Passover celebration. We'd go hide the matzah. You go hide the matzah under this handkerchief, and then you go find it. What's crazy about that is, and I didn't realize this until I got saved, was you hide the matzah, which is like communion, but like different, and, uh, and it's thicker. It's like a thicker bread. It looks a little burnt. If you haven't had, you should get it. Um, get it for your home. You could do that with wine and then that becomes your communion. It's really excited. So it's like unleavened bread. And so they would hide that under a white handkerchief and they would go, and then you'd go hide it. And then the kids have to go find it. It's like Easter eggs, but for Jews. And so that's what we did. But it's not as exciting to find unleavened bread as it is to find like eggs with chocolate, right? But it is what it is. And so what I didn't realize was it was the body hidden under a linen that was hidden in a place that was buried that then you go find and then you, it's resurrected. So it was kind of crazy now to think about it. So I was like, I was a little bit upset about the whole, cause you know, it was just very confusing. I was more okay with like the Hanukkah Christmas thing growing up because I got like 75 presents. And so I could more tolerate the confusion there. Easter week was just a bit much, but now that I, you know, it was a confusing week growing up, and then seven years ago to this very week, I got invited to church by a man named Luke Wilborn, who's in the house tonight, and, uh, and, I, and I got saved, and I heard the gospel completely. I didn't fall asleep. Like, you can't fall asleep in, in case you've tried. It's impossible to fall asleep in this church, uh, you know, whether it be the lights or the, the loud music or, or if it's just the powerful preaching in the presence of God, you, you can't. And so I came in, I heard the gospel, I was like, wow, it puts both of these together. I see actually how it all makes sense. And I came down on an altar and I gave my life to Jesus on Palm Sunday seven years ago. Palm Sunday seven years ago. So thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Luke Wilborn. 
who saw the craziest guy he knew who did all, this, all the crazy stuff in the world, um, but decided, you know what? I, I, I don't know if I'm gonna burn when I walk into a church, but I'm gonna try, and I did. And I showed up in Catholic mass clothes to a service like a Wednesday night service like this, and that was semi-interesting, the looks I got at 22 years old looking like that. But uh, everyone knew I was new, so that was cool. I got to talk to a lot of people, you know? Instantly got plugged in to like 13 connect groups and you know, all the things, uh, which was amazing. So I was super, super thankful for that. Um, so a week that was once confusing has now become very clear for me. And, and it's a really powerful week because I went from death to life. Like literally I went from death to life because the Bible says that we are born again when we accept Jesus and then we become a new creation. And what I didn't, you know, what I came to understand was that the reason that this week is all about life and this week is about resurrection, this week is about the, really the, the, the resurrection of death to life in, in all areas of our life, including our, you know, eternal um, souls, was in the Old Testament, because of sin, you know, the, the Jews had to bring offerings to make atonement so they had to be the ones that brought sacrifices. They had to be the ones that every single year showed up to the temple and brought sacrifice to atone for their whole family's sin, just to get right with God, not even to be close on a regular basis. And so that was just to get right. And then what Jesus did was he flipped the script. God said, I know you've, bringing offering, you've been bringing offerings, you've been bringing sacrifices, but now I am going to be bringing an offering, a perfect offering that will bring it to you and that you will never, all you have to do is accept the offering. And if you accept that offering of my son, you'll have eternal life and you'll move from death to life. And ever since then, my life has been on what the Bible says is an upward spiral. The Bible says that the way of the righteous spirals upward. Um, I would say my life before Christ was John 10.10. 10. The devil comes to steal, kill, destroy. That was literally my life for 22 years. Steal, kill, destroy. I lost my dad at nine years old. Went on a basically, you know, turned away from everything that was positive in my life for the most part, um, into drug use, into pornography, into all kinds of addiction, into dysfunction, into fear, anxiety, living like that every single day, not knowing where I was going after life. And so I would try and numb, hide, and blame everyone else for the way I felt in my life. And so then when I got saved, it was like, okay, this is different, this is exciting. And the rest of that scripture of John 10, 10, but it says Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Jesus came to do that. So if you're not experiencing life abundantly, you can, because it's life in Christ. And so I found that that was a very, very easy sell, if you were, to realize my life was so dysfunctional, I will take anything at this point, no work. And the way, the truth, and life is the way, the truth, and life. And it would be that one reason. That's why communion is so powerful because it was me being in communion with Jesus and his bride, the church, is the only reason my life has shifted so radically. The only reason we have the financial, we have the relational, we have the, 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 the daily life that we have is because of living in communion. Because communion is not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just taking of the body and the blood, it is that, but communion is common unity, it's sharing. So we think about it, it's like, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And so when I decided to partake of Jesus, when I decided to invite him into my life, I was not just keeping everything that was in here. And I think that's the key to experiencing life to the full is not just saying, Jesus, come in on top of everything else. It's saying, Jesus, I'm actually gonna give you all of this junk, all this dysfunction, all this 
all this stuff that has been killing me, and I will in turn take your life. I'm going to empty myself of what I've lived with, walked with, been ad- whatever it is, and I'm going to accept what you have. It's a trade, it's an exchange. And that's the only way that it fully works. The, the Bible says in John 15, verse four to 11, describes it like this. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus, you are the branches, us. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Anybody want to bear fruit? Anybody want a a life that bears fruit? For me, without me, you can do nothing. I realized that real quick. I tried the Tony Robbins walking on hot coals. I tried some Zen stuff. I tried... I tried a lot of stuff, you guys. None of it worked. Unfortunately, no matter what I smoked, no matter what I drank, no matter who I, it did not matter. Nothing was bearing fruit because I wasn't connected to the vine. If anyone does not abide in me and he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Don't want to burn? Abide in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That sounds like a good promise. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So why did I abide? Really simple. Because I wasted so much of my life not bearing fruit that I just decided, you know what? It's time to bear some fruit. Because if I don't at this point, I think there's not much worse that can happen. And, uh, and if my life is gone, I'd rather at least give it a shot with Jesus and Jesus won't let you down. Giving everything to Jesus will never let you down. But it's because I finally saw him as savior and Lord. The way, the truth, and the light instead of a way, a truth, a light. Because when you see Christians growing up and they're not walking it out, and they're doing basically the opposite of what they're telling you you should be doing, it's hard to see a God in that. But that's why I'm thankful for a church who doesn't just say, hey, come on Sundays, you know, be here, and then go live differently Monday to, no, no, no. We are an everyday 365, 24-7. And that's why, that's why we have, you know, Easter Sunday for us is like, we know people are gonna bring people. Why? Because we bring people every single week. Why? Because we bear fruit, because people see our lives changed. And I hear it every week in men's prayer and God's stories. Heard my friend Mike, who just started coming a month ago, right? And his life is getting absolutely turned right side up. You better believe people are taking notice You have Gio and Kristen over there. I think you guys are here tonight. Literally, every single week, bringing new people. Every single week. And they brought a friend tonight. Of course, I leaned over to my wife. I said, babe, they literally bring people every single week. She's like, dang, we need to step our game. I I can know. I know. I agree. I don't know if I'll ever look like that, Gio, but I'm going to try. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, yeah, I can dream. Exactly. So, the title of this message, in case you're wondering, is the end and the beginning. The end and the beginning. Because I believe we can't truly live in full communion, in other words, exchange with Jesus until we come to the end of ourselves. Uh, There's a quote by A.W. Tozer, if we could throw it up. I believe we have it. It says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. I mean, when I read that, I was like, dang, that was 
fully my life. That's amazing. How'd you write that? Um, because it's, it's the truth. It's, it's the truth. And so we see a few examples of this in the Bible. Um, we see the woman with the issue of blood. And if we look at Mark 5, 25 to 31, it says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. That's not good. It's a long time. And had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She saw Jesus in a certain way that other people didn't because it says immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt like her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? So there are other people that could have gotten a miracle. There were other people there who probably had needs. There were probably other people there who had problems in their body. There were probably other people who needed a son or daughter to come back. There were probably other people who had some needs, but they couldn't see what was in front of them. And, but his disciples said, you see the multitude throwing you and you say, who touched me? It's because someone, verse 28 says, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. In other words, who did she say Jesus was? Jesus, you're a healer. If I can touch the healer, I can be made well. If I can touch the healer, this will all go away. If I can just touch the healer. We see it with the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. We see in two back-to-back chapters, two very different stories. In Luke 18, verse 18, it talks about this rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And it said he actually came and bowed before Jesus. It says, now a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. And then it goes on to say how the teacher, Jesus basically said, hey, you got to fill all the commandments. He said, I've been doing that forever. Duh. It's me, the rich young ruler. And then Jesus is like, okay, one thing you haven't done, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy walked away very sad because he had a lot of things. So instead of looking at Jesus as Lord, as someone who had life, and who could provide for him beyond all the things he gave away. He saw it as just good teaching. Notice he said, good teacher. He didn't say, Lord. He didn't say, God of the universe. He didn't. And then you flip to the next chapter. Literally one chapter later. I don't think it's an accident. In Luke 19, 5 to 10, you see Jesus is going into another city. And it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. That's a good day. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, all the crowd, they complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Because God is no respecter of persons. But he does respect how you approach him and how you receive him. So then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, what does he say? Lord. Lord. Look, good teacher. No. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. You don't have to ask me. I already am giving half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken advantage of anybody or false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. So in other words, one man, same, same approach, same, same circumstance. One man said, good teacher. One man said, Lord. One got salvation, one didn't. One walked away with everything he needed and one walked away with nothing. 
how do we see Jesus? We see the same thing in one more circumstance in the feeding of the 5,000. And we see it compared to when Jesus did this with the 12. John 6, 25 to 26, this is right after he fed 5,000 people. It's a lot of people to feed. And it says that they actually went to follow Jesus. And it said, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, what did they say to him? Rabbi, Rabbi. Teacher. teacher, when did you come here? Side note, my mom always thought I was gonna be a rabbi. Funny. <laughs> Close. Close. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you came here for the wrong reason. You saw me for just someone who could provide you some food, some chick, and I get it. Like you provide everybody Chick-fil-A, 5,000 people, probably 15,000 women and children. Like you're gonna be coming, who's the Chick-fil-A guy? Like who bought $175,000 worth of Chick-fil-A for all of us? Let's go find him, because I'm hungry again, it's lunchtime. Of course you're gonna go find that guy. And so that's what they did. But the problem was they didn't see him as Lord because they, it goes on to say, Jesus is like, well, hey, you don't need like that Chick-fil-A. Like you, I'm the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you'll never actually have to hunger again. And they're like, huh? And he's like, I'm the bread of life. Like if you read it, he says it like a lot of times in that passage. And then he goes on to say, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which is kind of an intense thing to say to a lot of people, but he says it anyway. And then they're like, they literally say, who can accept this? This is such a hard saying. This is a hard saying. It is a hard thing to teach. This is a hard thing to, as if it were optional for those who wanted to believe in him, as if it were something that they could choose or not choose, as if it were on a silver plate of like, hey, what do you want from God? Like, do you just want this or do you want, Jesus is like, this is, this is the way. This is the way. Do you want to be part of me? Do you want the life I offer? Do you want limitless provision? Then you must trade with me. You must trade with me. You must exchange your insufficiency for my all-sufficiency. And yet they all went away. Many of them left. It's John 6, 6, 6, and many disciples left because they couldn't wrap their heads around. This is, they couldn't see Jesus as Lord because how we see God is how we will receive God. An exchange was made in every single one of those miracles that did happen. An exchange that was not actually even decided by Jesus, but by each person. And it was the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? Because, and there's a story of Jesus walking with the disciples, and this is after he's done quite a few miracles, and he's asking them, well, who are people saying that I am? And some say Elijah, some say this, some say that. And then he's like, but what do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Because everyone else was looking through flesh and blood. Everyone else was looking through what they could see in the natural, but Peter was looking up. And because he was looking up, he saw the one who his heart had been longing for. He saw the one who could fix everything from the inside out. And he saw the savior. And because of that, Jesus built the rock on him. Jesus built the church on one man who saw him for who he was. And the revelation was this, it's no longer about what I can do. 
The woman with the issue of blood, she had tried everything. So when we come to the end of ourselves, we begin giving up the fact that I'm the Lord of my own life. Because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. For the longest time, I thought I was in control. I thought I was the Lord of my life. I thought, if I, I've got to make this happen. And when I tried everything, thankfully I tried really fast, really hard, until I was like 21, 22, to the point where I'm like, there's nothing left. You know, like there's, there's absolutely nothing left. If I was going to get rich by myself, I was given $100,000 cash. Like you would think I would be able to go make that happen by myself, but I didn't. I squandered it, lost it, went backwards, thank you credit cards, and ended up in a terrible place financially because I did it without God. And God did not want me to wreck my life on something that could have literally taken me out all the way down. And so when we get to the end of ourselves, we can actually start to see God for who he really is. And it doesn't always look like financial ruin. Sometimes it looks like deprivation in relationships. Sometimes it looks like, and, and the reality is once we do that, we can actually lay down the lordship of our own life and give it to the one who made us. And if the one who made us becomes the Lord of your life, I guarantee you he's gonna to start to show you the blueprint and how this is supposed to work. And he gave that to us in his word. Because the abiding life and the fruitful life is not a one-time dealer transaction. And that's what I found. I gave my whole life really quickly to Jesus, but it wasn't a one-time thing. It was the thing I constantly have to do and still have to do as a pastor and still will have to do 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now as a believer. Because it's a living relationship to experience heaven on earth and fulfill our purpose. And, you know, I was thinking about and reflecting on the seven years that I've been saved because it's, it's kind of flown by, but it's also like, that's a long time. And uh, I can't be like the new believer anymore, you know? It's like, I, I've been saved for a while now. <laughs> I gotta work this stuff out. But I thought, I said, you know, I was asking, I was like asking God, it was, and along the way, I've kind of asked this question, God, why have you done so much for me in the last seven years? Why have you done some things so fast? Why have you, why, why, why do I feel like I'm like, you know, the favorite? And he's like, you're not the favorite. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, but I'm Jewish. So like, kind of? And he's like, no, no, you're not getting it. And I'm like, well, why then, God? Because part of me was like, I'm just favored. And it's like, it's not. He said, you gave, you, you went all in. You, you gave me everything. You gave me everything. You had nothing left in you. You had nothing left in you. The dysfunction in every area of your life, you literally just gave all of it. To the point where the first year of my relationship with God was literally just like resurrecting things that I literally just let die immediately. And that was in every single category. But because of that, I didn't just have my own strength. I didn't just have my own might. I just didn't have my own power. I had the power of the living God working in my relationships, the power of the living God working in my finances, the power of the living God working in every single area of my life. And I would love to tell you that it was an overnight process. It wasn't. God's still working things out. But I can tell you that if there's something that isn't working, if there's something that's not bearing the fruit that looks like, I think Jesus' fruit would look different than this then the question is, what do I need to lay down? Because the likelihood is we have not made Jesus Lord of that area. And so when I made that decision, I entered communion, because that's really what this is. Communion is not a one-time event, and it's not really just a, it, it's, it's a moment to remember, but it's the reality that communion is exchanging. I'm exchanging Jesus, I'm exchanging. I exchanged with my financial dysfunction. I gave him my tithe, I brought my offerings and he gave me limitless provision and protection. 
Now that didn't, I didn't get a million dollars overnight, but God has upwardly, sustainably blessed us. So I entered communion with God in my relationships. I gave him my dysfunctional way of seeing other people. And in turn, he gave me friendships. He gave me relationships. He gave me my wife who I could not have done myself. I could not have married her myself within a million times over trying this life out by myself. And yet he did it. I entered communion with God, with my coping mechanism. I gave him my drug uses. I gave him my overconsumption with alcohol. I gave him my pornography addiction. I gave him all of the addiction. I gave him all the dysfunction and he gave me the spirit of self-control. He gave me a peace beyond understanding. He gave me a healing love that filled every part of me that was craving the one thing that it couldn't get without him. Communion isn't just remembering what Jesus did on the cross with them is exchanging our ways for his ways, our good for his God. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask us to take these emblems in a moment of exchange. And the question I want you to start thinking about is what do you need? What do you need? Because he's got everything that you could possibly imagine. The Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask, think or imagine. You see, once again, this process is an ongoing process. This process is not a one-time deal. And I found that this moment of exchange can sometimes get away from us and we can forget that there might be some things that we've re-grabbed onto that actually we need to let back go of. And it was actually even just a, a couple months, in the last couple months, I got on a flight to go out to Salt Lake City and uh, I've had a couple panic attacks in my life in the past, before I got saved, because I, I literally would just start thinking about my eternity and I would start thinking about what happens after this and I had no idea and I thought we literally just were, I, I just, I was tormented by it. And so it would be moments where I literally just had these gnarly panic attacks when I was like maybe 10, 12, 13. And then, you know, I didn't really experience them a whole lot and then got saved and just never really thought about them. And then I got on this flight to Salt Lake City and then all of a sudden, I'm literally sitting on the flight, I'm in a window seat, and everything's fine, and then all of a sudden, I start having a panic attack. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I start running through my mind all the things, and I had been a little more stressed than usual, took on some new things in business and life and ministry and all these things, and I was like, what is happening? And I start freaking out. So I start praying, I, start, I pick up my Bible, my daily reading, I pick up my orange, you know, sunrise colored Bible, and I start reading the day's passage, hoping it's gonna change something, nothing's working. And so I calm myself down one way or another, just trying to cope with it for the hour flight. I get off and I text my wife, I'm like, I don't know what the heck just happened but I feel like I just had a weird panic attack. Maybe it was just like, maybe it was just the atmosphere. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it just was. But then that thing stayed with me. And it didn't happen again fully like that, but there were moments that it was like, it's got a grip on you again. It's coming back. You, you've done this yourself because you've just allowed things to get out of control in your life. You've got too much on your plate. You've, look at you, you've done it again. God's not gonna save you from that. You did it yourself. You gotta dig yourself out of this. And so I start processing through in my mind, and I've, you know, been to therapy, I've done all the things. So I start in my mind doing all these things. And then it kind of goes away. And then we, we head up on vacation. And literally the first night of vacation, it almost happens exactly the way it started on the airplane. And I turned to my wife, I said, baby, you gotta pray for me. 
I don't know what the heck's going on. I text one of my good friends, tell him, you need a prayer right now. I don't know what's happening, but I'm feeling this, this anxiousness and I can't get away from it. It happened for like three weeks, two, three weeks. And, and I got some prayer for it, but the revelation didn't come until my wife says, no, no. Jesus did not die for you to feel like this. No, 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 no. This is not okay. She prayed for me, said, you need to go pray and figure out what this is and what's going on, but this is not okay. I love my wife because that's what I needed to hear. I didn't need to be coped with, hey, it's just something you gotta live with. Hey, it's just something we're gonna process through, we're gonna work through, and I'm not discounting therapy. I'm not discounting things that people actually have to process through, work through. I'm not discounting any of that. But I remember I got by myself in a room and I started praying, I said, God, like, what do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to do about this spirit? He's like, I didn't give you that spirit. Tell that thing to go. I have given you authority over all things. I need you to stand up and I need you to pray like you pray for other people. And I need you to tell that thing to go. And so I had an exchange. I had a moment where I was afraid to go to God. For, the, for three weeks, I was afraid to actually go to God and say, God, what is this? Because I was worried he was gonna say, sorry, bud, that one's on you. You did it to yourself. And so if there's a lie in your head right now that says there's something that you can't bring to him because there's some shame, there's some guilt, there's some lie that says you're just gonna have to deal with it, you need to break that thing's back. Because as soon as I heard from Father and he said, I didn't give that to you because I have not given you a spirit of fear. I have given you a spirit and a power, love and a sound mind. And so you know what I did? I said, devil, get off my life. Devil, get off my mind. I break the power of anxiety. I break the power of fear. Stress, you gotta go in Jesus' name. And I declare the blood of Jesus rests upon my life. And guess what? That thing got the hell out of my life and has not been back. So we're, communion, we're not just gonna live with some stuff anymore. We're not just gonna tolerate some stuff anymore. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. So we're gonna kick every devil. So everyone stand up real quick. We're about to take these emblems. Who do you say that he is? I'm gonna read out some names of who Jesus is. And as I do that, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take a moment. And if one of the names stands out, if a couple names stands out, I want you to say, Jesus, I'm exchanging my name, the insecurity, the invalid, whatever I'm feeling that is not of you and I'm exchanging for that name. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is Adam. Jesus is the advocate. He's the almighty. He's the alpha and omega. He is the amen. He is the apostle of our profession. He is the arm of the Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the branch. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of salvation. He is the chief shepherd. He is the Christ of God. He is the consolation of Israel, the cornerstone, the counselor, the creator, the day spring, the deliverer. He is the desire of the nations. He is the door. He is the elect of God. He is the everlasting father, the faithful witness, the first and the last, the forerunner, the glory of the Lord. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the 
heir of all things. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the horn of salvation. He is the I am. He is the Emmanuel. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the judge of Israel. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of the kings. He is the king of saints. He is the lamb of God. He is the life. He is the light of the world. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord of glory. He is the man of sorrows, the mediator, the messenger of the covenant, the Messiah, the mighty God, the mighty one, the morning star, the Nazarene, the only begotten son. He is our Passover. He is the prince of life, the prince of kings, prince of peace. He is the prophet. He is the redeemer. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the rock, the root of David, the savior, the shepherd and the bishop of souls. He is Shiloh. He is the son of David, son of God, son of the highest, true light, true vine, truth. He is the word of God. If you need something, if you need a name, he's got the name. If you need an exchange, he's got the exchange. So right now, lift your hands, take your emblems. In Jesus' name, Father, we declare. Worship team's gonna play. We declare right now an exchange. We exchange every fear, every sickness, every diagnosis, every mental depression, whatever it is. We exchange our insecurity, our not enough, for Father, you're more than enough. And right now, Jesus, we lock into your blood. We take your blood and your body, and Father, we exchange what is of the earth for Father, what is in heaven. Father, we declare that that exchange is done, that all things, all things sit under your feet. And so, Father, we declare if all things sit under your feet, then all things sit under our feet. In Jesus' name, we take authority over every sickness in people's bodies right now. We reverse diagnosis. We command anxiety, fear, depression, suicide. We break your power right now in Jesus' name. We declare that Jesus is Lord over our minds. Jesus is Lord over our finances. Jesus is Lord over every part of us. And right now, we command healing to flow from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're filling every single person in this room. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.